Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. We're a few weeks into the new year, and one of the resolutions you made for your nonprofit was to increase your funding. Let's face it, we all did that one. (laughs) It's a good one, but what strategies did you set in place to make your resolution stick? Was technology a part of the plan? Well, for that matter, are you up to date on the technology that exists in the world of fundraising? How can it help you move the needle? Do not be afraid because technology is your friend today on the podcast. And to help me prove that is Abby Jarvis. Abby is the nonprofit education manager at QGive. QGive is a software company that seeks to make it easy for nonprofit and faith-based and political organizations to accept online donations and payments. Very good. But as you will find out in this conversation, there's a lot more to it than just accepting gifts online. Abby, welcome to Impactability. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. It's good to have you with us today. I got to say that this is a conversation that I've been wanting to have for a while on our program because so many people, especially in smaller nonprofits, tend to be tech shy. Why do you think that is? You know, I think there are a few big reasons, but I think the biggest one is really just that there is a fear of the unknown. Humans are creatures of habit. We don't like changes to our our routines. And that change can be especially intimidating if it is something that you haven't really experimented with before. Um, And I think there's a fear on a few different fronts. I think there's a reluctance to kind of get involved sometimes with board members. Uh, You know, board members are often fiscally responsible for a nonprofit success. So if you ask a board member to invest in a new technology, they want to be sure that that technology is going to work out because they don't want to risk messing up what's already working. I think there's also a little bit of trepidation for nonprofits, especially small ones that work on thin margins. If you don't have a ton of finances or resources to spend trying something new, it can be really intimidating to try out a new piece of technology that you're not sure is going to work for you. But technology is our friend, right, Abby? (laughs) Yes, it absolutely is. (laughs) So let's dig in a little bit. Let's talk about the basics, accepting gifts online. Is it safe? How does it work? I know there's a lot of talk about, oh, this is encrypted and this is great. and, And yeah, but there's still that chance a lot of people feel. So is it safe? How does it all work? It is safe. So I want to start this from my answer with that. Uh, the way it works is relatively straightforward, and I'll give you the very simplified version of it. So if your nonprofit decides to take online donations, the first thing you'll do is set up an account through a fundraising platform. I'm going to talk about fundraising platforms. Those platforms, you may see the term payment gateway used as you're talking about this. Really all that means is that that fundraising platform is the gateway your donors use to give you their support. Once you get that account set up, your fundraising platform will give you access to a donation form that you put on your website. So when you land on an SPCA's website and you see that donate button, 
uh, and you go over and click over there and then there's that donation form. That donation form is managed by your fundraising platform. In terms of safety, it is very safe. There is something called PCI compliance and this is a big complicated topic, but the, the simplified version is that PCI compliance, PCI stands for Payment Card Industry Data Security Standard, which is a very long, complicated phrase uh, that really just references a number of security guidelines and standards set by different credit card companies that payment processors and payment gateways must abide by. So if you are researching online fundraising tools and you want to be sure your donors are safe, make sure you find someone that maintains PCI compliance. And no matter what you're doing with online fundraising, PCI compliance should be your number one priority if you want to keep your donors safe. Yeah, good advice. Obviously, the use of online donation platforms like you're talking about has helped the nonprofit world. So is there any indication of like the percentage of gifts that come in online versus standard snail mail? Yes. Online fundraising in 2020 accounted for around 13% of all charitable dollars raised. And I want to emphasize that all charitable dollars raised part because uh, that 13% also includes grants and major gifts and, and other kind of fundraising strategies that aren't necessarily processed online. So that's interesting. I'm wondering if you think it might be beneficial to a nonprofit to maybe take a look at their list if they're used to doing like the mass mailing and maybe split things up a little bit. How many people, how much information do they have about their donors that might be in that baby boom slot versus younger, maybe Gen Z millennials who would prefer that you not send them mail and it could actually cost them less. Definitely. I think that would be a really interesting exercise. This is kind of a, a fun trend. I don't know if fun is the right word, but <laughs> during the same generational giving study, we asked donors how frequently they preferred to hear from the nonprofits they support and how they like to hear from them. A surprising number of younger donors, so Generation Z, Millennials, and Gen X, indicated that they do occasionally like getting mail updates. Uh, from the nonprofits they support, but the vast majority of them preferred to visit a nonprofit social media channels for updates. So we saw that a lot of folks, especially those younger donors, are looking for the combined approach. They, they're interested in receiving your, your direct mail updates, but they will seek you out on social media. Baby boomers were very interesting to me because they either didn't want direct mail updates at all, or they wanted them very infrequently. So one thing we really suggest a lot to nonprofits, an inexpensive and practical way to figure out what your donors want, try setting up a free online survey and sending a survey to your donors asking how they'd like to hear from you. Uh, you may be surprised. They may not be looking for direct mail updates. They, you might be able to save money on, on your mailings and send out one or two mass mailings a year instead of five or six. Yeah. And it makes sense too, because if you have, let's say 5,000 people in your database and 3,000 of them are baby boomers, you might think to just mail, snail mail and ask to the baby boomers and save yourself that other 2,000 that you're going to print and mail because 
as you're pointing out, your research is showing that a younger generation might prefer just doing it all online. Yeah. And I mean, I'm 34. I'm right smack in the middle of the millennial generation. And I love getting occasional direct mail, but I will always respond to that direct mail by going online and donating. I'm guessing that COVID has played a major part in the success of online giving. It has played a tremendous role uh, in the success of online giving and the growth that we're seeing. Last year, we published a research study that examined how donors responded to the pandemic. There's a little bit of background the way we approached it. Uh, we sent surveys to our clients and we asked them how they were doing. Uh, we asked them what they expected from the pandemic and what actually happened. And then we went through a third party to survey, I think around 1,300 donors and ask about how their finances were affected, how their charitable giving was impacted. And the results were phenomenal. More than 40% of the, the donors we surveyed, not the nonprofits, indicated that they were negatively impacted by the pandemic. I don't think that's surprising to anyone. But what was wonderful is that 64% of the people we surveyed said that they either kept their charitable giving levels the same post-pandemic or gave more to charity. So only 36% of donors reported giving less to charity. So even though people are being negatively impacted by the pandemic, their generosity is not being dampened by the pandemic. I was reading a piece that you wrote where it said that 75% of young donors, and I'm quoting, are turned off by out-of-date websites. Can you explain that further? And what can our listeners do to make sure they don't fall into that trap? Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm coming to you now as a millennial. I got my first email address when I was in fifth grade. I remember a time before the internet, but I was very young. My younger sister is 27. She does not remember a time when the internet was not a huge part of our lives. So for younger donors in particular, our real life identities and our online identities are very closely related. We have conflated the two of them. Whether or not that is great, we can have that debate later, but that is true. Younger donors in particular are absolutely looking for up-to-date, informative, functional websites. So to me, if I land on your website and it's outdated, if there are links that are broken, if it doesn't work on my mobile phone, two things will happen. One, I'll either navigate away from your donation page or your fundraising website or whatever you've got set up because it's hard to use and I don't want to do it. Or I will get the impression that your nonprofit doesn't care enough about your online presence or that you're not active enough online. And it puts me off wanting to support you. I would rather support a nonprofit that is actively maintaining this presence. Another thing to remember is that not only do outdated websites kind of look awkward and not work well, they're very often not secure. So there are all kinds of patches and updates that are constantly being pushed out to different website platforms like WordPress and things like that. And if you're not maintaining your website, there is a higher likelihood that there will be security breaches or data leaks. And it makes me not want to give you my payment information. So even if I'm not necessarily concerned with the fact that your online presence isn't up to date, I may worry that your site is not safe to use. 
So keep an eye on your website. Um, make sure that the links are, are working. If it's been five or more years since you've updated it, maybe talk to your board about hiring someone to come in and give it a facelift. And honestly, updating that site will have a lot of benefits. Not only will donors be more likely to engage with you, they're more likely to donate. You'll also rank better in search engines. It's really a good move for everyone. And then please, please, please make sure you keep an eye on security updates for your website. It is so important. That is some great advice. Thank you for that. What are some other things that nonprofits should look out for when thinking about launching an online giving program? Uh, there are two big things to remember. One is that online fundraising is not one of those, if you build it, we, they will come situations. <laughs> you do have to still market your organization and you need to, to let your supporters know that you have an online fundraising page. That's ex especially important if you have never done that before. If your donors have historically always just donated to you over the phone or in person, uh, they will not know to go look for an online fundraising page. Asking someone to give is wonderful. It's much more helpful if you ask them to give and then give them a way to do it. So when you're sending direct mail appeals, let people know that you have an online donation form. If you're posting to Facebook, share a link to your donation form when you're asking for support. That will help you be much more effective. The other thing to keep in mind is that online donors need stewarding and care. So donors want to know how their money is used. They want to know what the impact of their gift will be. They want to know that you have seen and appreciate their gift. So, you know, direct mail donors, especially if they're older, want or need fewer updates from the nonprofits they support. Online donors, though, especially younger ones, uh, really want to know what you've done with their gift. Whereas a direct mail donor may want an update once a quarter, your younger donors want an update once a month. So you do need to steward those online donors. So make sure you're thanking them, make sure you're sending periodic update emails, and then be sure they understand their gift's impact before you ask for a second gift. Mm -hmm. Our guest today is Abby Jarvis. We're talking about online giving, its success, and why you should be doing it if you're not and what to watch out for if you are. For those of you that feel this is nothing new and you, you're do, you've been doing it for a while, that's all good, but stick around because after this short break, we're gonna discuss some of the other tech that's out there to help your nonprofit succeed in fundraising. This is Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I am Joe Turner and we'll be right back. Sometimes there's just not enough hours in the day to get the work at your nonprofit done. Sukup Strategic Solutions can help. We handle all kinds of projects, especially the ones you can't seem to get to. Fundraising, marketing, grant writing, communications, and more. With Sukup Strategic Solutions, you'll have a team of nonprofit professionals working for you. You'll have more hands on deck, reduce overhead, and increase efficiency. For a free consultation on how we can help lighten the load at your nonprofit, visit SukupStrategicSolutions.com. Maximize your impact with Sukup Strategic Solutions. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. We're speaking with our guest, Abby Jarvis, about the technology of fundraising. Just a quick reminder, another edition of Coach's Corner is coming up in just a few minutes, so stay tuned for that. Abby, we've been talking about online fundraising, but I'd like to switch things up a little bit. Talk about some of the other fundraising tech that's out there. To start, let's talk about how text fundraising works. So 
there are two kinds of text fundraising and they have really similar names, but they work very differently and there are pros and cons to each. The first style um, is called text to donate. It's very simple. So if I wanna donate to your organization, you'll give me a keyword. So you say text the word donate to 50155 or whatever the short code is. I send a text, donate 50155. I immediately get back a response asking me how much I'd like to donate. So I say, I wanna donate $30. And then I immediately get a link to an online donation form that's already filled out. It's very streamlined. There's not a lot of additional fields I have to answer. I give my payment information and my name and maybe my email address for a receipt. And then my gift is done. That is pretty, I mean, we see pretty great conversion rates. People who, who initiate that kind of gift overwhelmingly tend to finish that kind of gift. But some of the, the benefits of that style of text fundraising is it is less expensive. It's a less expensive of the two. It's more accessible to nonprofits. So if you are a new nonprofit, you're looking for ways to get started, or if you're a small nonprofit and you want to offer this fundraising option to your donors, this is an inexpensive way to kind of get your feet wet. The other style of text fundraising is something that people are probably a little more familiar with. That one is called the bill to carrier text fundraising. If you um, remember, I think it was after Hurricane Katrina, the Red Cross launched a huge fundraising push and you just texted a keyword to a number and then the amount of your donation was added to your cell phone bill and then the nonprofit receives money later. So the way that works, you have to sign up for an account through the Mobile Giving Foundation. There is a cost associated with that. And then once you have that set up, your donors donate. And then after they pay their cell phone bills, that money is sent to the Mobile Giving Foundation. And then the Mobile Giving Foundation sends you the money you've raised. There are some advantages. That is kind of the OG text fundraising solution. Donors are very familiar with it. There are not a lot of steps. You just send a text message and your donation is added to your phone bill. Some things to keep in mind as you think through different kinds of text fundraising is the cost associated with it is much higher. So the barrier to entry is a little higher. And then it also takes longer to receive your, your money. So if you are getting donations through the bill to carrier, it may take several months to get your money. If you're using the text to donate version, you get your money, you know, two to three days after the, the gift. We talked earlier about COVID and because of COVID, a lot of events have either been canceled altogether or they go virtual. And one of the successful elements in an event is the auction. So how do virtual auctions work? Virtual auctions are super cool. So uh, they've got a few advantages, but the way it kind of works for a nonprofit is your nonprofit will set up your auction page. Um, you'll do this through your online fundraising provider. You build your page, you add your event details, cool pictures, branding, whatever you want. And then you will upload your items to your online fundraising platform. You can add pictures, you can add descriptions, you can add direct costs, you can thank the donors who gave you those items. Um, so you get everything set up. You can also, if you have included other elements in your auction, I know raffles are really popular at auctions. Fund and need items are really popular at auctions. You can set those up as well. As your attendee goes through your event, they can buy raffle tickets, buy fund to need items, and then they can also bid on your items, either on a desktop or on their phone. 
And then as they start winning items, those lots are added to a running tab that they accumulate throughout the event. So if you're buying a drink ticket and a raffle ticket and a couple of auction items, those will end up on their tab. At the end of the event, you close the auction and then the donors pay their tab and retrieve their items. If you're doing a virtual auction, you would contact those donors and let them know how to pick up what they have won. And one thing that we're starting to see more and more, people are using these for virtual, they're also using them for hybrid and in-person events as well. Having an in-person event is tricky for a lot of things right now. You have to keep people spaced out. Uh, there is nothing COVID friendly about a group of people huddling around a paper bid sheet, uh, but you can keep everyone spread out if it's all on their phones. So we're seeing a ton of virtual events using this. We're seeing a lot of hybrid events doing this. So if I'm at the event and you are at home, you and I can both bid on the same item. Um, and then we're seeing this used uh, really commonly in, in totally in-person events as well. So people are getting very creative with this tech. So Abby, does the nonprofit get the info collected from the auction? Yes, they should. So an auction platform should capture a participant's name and all of their information. It should also capture uh, how much they spend uh, and any additional purchases or donations they make during the course of the auction. Are there any other new fundraising ideas that you'd like to share? Yeah, so one thing I'm seeing that has been really wonderful and encouraging, honestly, throughout this whole pandemic is the rise of DIY fundraising. So if you're not familiar with the term DIY fundraising or do-it-yourself fundraising, uh, gives your supporters the opportunity to raise money on your behalf. You may have seen this on Facebook, a version of DIY fundraising. If it's my birthday, I'm trying to raise $500 for the SPCA Florida, please donate. Uh, that's a version of a DIY fundraiser. Uh, a lot of nonprofits use peer-to-peer -peer fundraising tools to do this. So I may decide I want to donate my birthday or my graduation or another milestone. I set up a fundraising page and I share it with my friends and family and ask for support. We're starting to see young donors in particular really embrace this fundraising style. A lot of young donors, particularly millennials and Generation Z donors, want to support nonprofits. They're very philanthropic minded, but they're, they don't have a lot of disposable income, especially right now with a lot of uncertainty going on with the pandemic. So they, those donors can't write you a $200 check, but what they can do is they can share your work and your mission with their friends and their families and their coworkers and raise money for you. So that's picking up steam. Uh, another cool one that I've seen is uh, virtual food pantries. So, you know, especially for human service focused organizations, there's a huge need for food and supplies for shelters and medical clinics. And what a lot of people are doing is setting up donation forms where they ask donors to buy supplies for them they're, I mean, they're really processing, you know, financial donations, but donors really like feeling like they're helping. So nonprofits can set up different food pantry items that I can buy for them. And then they take that money and buy the supplies they need. Now there's a caveat here. Some donors are very literal. If you, if I go through the checkout process and I'm buying a case of canned peaches, I may want to know that I'm actually buying a case of canned peaches but that may put you in a position where you have 85 cases of canned peaches and no green beans. So what a lot of nonprofits are doing 
is they are adding a little addendum to their donation form that says, you know, this is helping you determine what you're, or helping you envision what you're buying, but really we're gonna put this donation wherever we, we need it. So we've seen a tremendous amount of success with that and a few different organizations. Very sound advice for nonprofits who either have not done anything online before, not sure about it, and those that are doing online giving, some other things for them to think about. Abby, this is great. I, I'm hoping that our listeners got some new ideas to help them in their fundraising efforts in this new year. Thank you so much for being on Impactability. Really appreciate it. Thank you for talking with me. This is really fun. Time once again for another edition of Coach's Corner. This is where we take the questions that you send us, and the questions could be anything in the nonprofit world, maybe just some advice, opinion, whatever it is. We take your questions, and we ask our impact coaches for their advice, their answers to your questions. And today's question, going to be a tough one. Our impact coach is Cheryl Sukup, the president of Sukup Strategic Solutions. And Cheryl, our question comes from Daniel Frederick. He's at carbonfund.org, and Daniel is the winner of our Amazon gift card. So Daniel, thank you very much for your question. Cheryl, the question is, what would happen if your organization was not able to accomplish its goals? Sounds easy, but this is a complex question. Cheryl, you've got five minutes to answer the question. Your five minutes begins right now. Thanks, Joe. And thank you very much, Daniel, for your question. I hope that I do your question justice when I answer it. Hopefully I'm answering just what you are hoping to find out. So here we go. If your organization is not achieving a particular goal, um, first I would take a look at whether or not you're measuring the accomplishment of a goal or an objective. So you might think, what's the difference? Well, a goal is usually a, more of a broad overarching statement of something that you want to accomplish. And objectives are usually measurable subsets of that goal. So as an example, if you want to increase your fundraising income for the year 2022, we've been talking about that in Coach's Corner and we've been talking about it in the interviews on impactability so if your goal is to increase your fundraising income in 2022, you may have some additional objectives underneath that goal. So for instance, you may have an objective that is measurable to increase your major gifts by a certain percentage, your major gifts income by a certain percentage by the end of the year, or you may have a goal to increase your income from grants by the end of the year, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you may have different objectives and they would, would all need to be measurable in terms of time and perhaps income or percentage. You know, if you're going to talk about an increase, you want to identify how much of an increase in a measurable objective and by what time period and within what time period. So I think the difference between the goal is that it's more generalized and overarching. And that's typically what you would share with your supporters or the general public. And an objective is something that is measurable, that gives you more information about how you are achieving that goal. Each objective can also be divided up into benchmarks, which gives you smaller chunks of time or volume. So if you have an objective to increase the income that you receive from grants 
by $100,000 within three years, then you may want to create some benchmarks that within year one, you will increase it by $30,000 in year two, another $30,000 and in year three, $40,000 more to get to that $100,000 mark. So that's a way that you can incrementally define your goals using measurable objectives and benchmarks. And thus you can really identify where you are achieving your goals and where you are falling short. Then you want to look at why are you falling short? So for instance, has anything changed in your environment? Is that change internal within your organization or is it external, something that you don't have any control over but is impacting you? Is that change in your environment permanent or temporary? So for instance, internally, maybe you lost a key position and that's impacting your ability to achieve your goals. In the case of fundraising, maybe you lost your development director. Is that a permanent loss or is that a temporary loss? Another reason why you might not have accomplished your goal could be that the strategy is flawed. And so if you realize that that is the reason, there are things that you can do about that as well. So once you determine why you haven't achieved your goal, you can think about course corrections. So decide whether the failure to achieve the goal was overly ambitious or no longer relevant because of unanticipated changes. And once you know the reason, you can decide how you're going to course correct. You can resize your overly ambitious goal. You can change the strategy that you are using or change multiple strategies. Try something else. So how do you save face? If you were um, measuring progress on the achievement of strategic goals, you'll hopefully know early on that you're not making progress and you won't really need to worry about saving face too much. If you're using benchmarks, then you probably know pretty early on and you can course correct before it becomes a big issue with your supporters or the general public. However, if you are not making those incremental measurements and you don't realize it until it's really too late and your supporters are going to know about this, there are th some things that you can do. First of all, you can promote the accomplishments that were realized and be celebratory about those. You can share your barriers to achieving success with your leaders and ask for their help in removing them. You can share your challenges with supporters and let them know how they can help. And then you can also share next steps with all of your stakeholders and let them know how you plan to proceed. So I just want to share with you my personal thoughts and feelings that from failures, you learn, you adapt, and you refine how you do things. And it is so important that you're not afraid to innovate. So go out there, innovate, do the very best that you can with the resources that you have, but definitely try new things and measure, measure, measure. Use data to help you understand whether or not you're making the progress you hope for as early as possible so you can course correct. Overall, it's important to keep dreaming big and going for it. Don't be afraid to make mistakes sometimes, right, Cheryl? That is right. That is correct, Joe. Cheryl, thank you so much. Great question from Daniel Frederick from carbonfund.org. Thank you for the question, Daniel. And thank you, Cheryl, for being our impact coach today on Coach's Corner. Thank you, Joe. And Daniel, thank you once again. And if I haven't completely answered your question, please feel free to send us another message and we'd be happy, happy, happy to um, have you rephrase it and I'll answer it again. That's right. And if you would like to be like Daniel, maybe win yourself 
Amazon gift card. Send us your questions. Impactcoaches at impactability.net. We'd love to have your question. I know Cheryl and some of our other impact coaches are waiting to answer them for you. So make sure you send those questions into us real soon. And hopefully you will be our next winner of a gift card. Cheryl, thank you so much for being our impact coach today on Coach's Corner. Thank you, Joe. If you've got a question for Coach's Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.